This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. There is a very, very strong part of me that cannot help but link anti-vax thought to eugenics and Nazis. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast, brought to you by Libro FM. My name is Nate, and I'm your host, a very caffeinated American teacher abroad. If you're listening to this and it sounds like it's on 1.2 or 1.5, that's because I found a new cafe with my wife today around the corner. It's a nice little place, uh, Turkish and French fusion, so you can get baklava and crepes. Uh, And I went and had Turkish coffee, and I'm vibrating right now. Like, it's just a lot of caffeine. Anyway, that's not the topic of the show. If you are a member of the Channel 253 network, you may have heard the conversation that I recorded with Hope back in December. Uh, Hope and I were vaccinated. We took our first dose of the Sinopharm vaccine, which is a Chinese-made COVID vaccine uh, on December 10th. And we had our second dose on January the 1st. And so we were able to secure the vaccine uh, quite early. And we talked about that with producer Doug on the the -the off-the-record podcast. And that's a podcast for members only of Channel 253. Today, we're talking with somebody who is a uh, acquaintance or friend of mine from back in Tacoma uh, named Jenny May. She works in the pharmaceutical industry and is one of my like favorite sneaky smart people uh, out there. And we're going to be talking about the current availability of vaccines, the development of vaccines, and what's coming to market with vaccines. Uh, In this conversation, I think it's worthwhile to put on the table the status of black Americans and the vaccine. Uh, And in particular, I think it's important to have this conversation and this caveat and like put this into the on the table uh, after having two episodes about the book cast. You will see tweets and reports about black people being hesitant to take the vaccine. But I want to contextualize those with the history that black Americans have endured with the medical establishment in the United States. Black Americans have been the involuntary victims of medical experiments. We know about the Tuskegee experiment. We know about uh, like just many occasions in which black Americans have been uh, unwittingly treated as guinea pigs for white folks by the medical establishment. That has caused some intergenerational trauma and some hesitancy and conspiracy thinking about uh, vaccines. And one of the parts of this conversation I'm excited about is I want to talk to Jenny in the back half about how she deals with her relatives and friends who are vaccine hesitant or anti-vaxxers. And so I want to like I'm I'm excited for that conversation because I think it's important to have that conversation and to engage people on vaccines, in particular in the black community, because their fears are not irrational. Their fears are grounded in the fact that America uh, has taken advantage of of the black community far too many times. And honestly, the flip side of that is, is that even for folks who are not vaccine hesitant uh, within black neighborhoods and black communities, oftentimes the vaccine is not being available. 
There's some really depressing data that's come out of Washington, D.C., looking at zip codes that are more affluent and more white and the percentage of people who have received the vaccine versus uh, neighborhoods that are black and the percentage of people who have received the vaccine. And even more depressing data coming out of Los Angeles that shows even within majority black zip codes, the white folks in those zip codes are actually more likely to be vaccinated. And so you cannot have a conversation about vaccines on this show, at least, uh, without acknowledging and talking about like that trauma that has been inflicted on black folks and is playing out like in greater society. So like that's kind of caveat number one. Caveat number two, uh, listeners know that I lost my father to COVID uh, in August. And I'm very excited the fact, by the fact that my mother has received both doses of the vaccine. Uh, and that makes it more likely that I can fly home and see my mother uh, in th- the summer. And uh, my mom is an 80-year-old strong black woman. She's the best thing to come out of the New Deal and the Great Depression. So that's what is on the offering for today's conversation. Before we get to that, just a little bit of admin. Uh, If you are listening to this show and you enjoy our conversations that we have on the network and you enjoy the conversations we have on this show in particular, I'm going to ask you to do me a solid. Go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called, and leave a review, five stars, please, and talk about what you like about the show. Um, that helps us to share the show, helps other people find the show. And frankly, I think the conversations we have are worth sharing. And that basically helps grow the audience for the show so we can have these conversations about local civic issues, national issues, sometimes international issues. Uh, the other thing is, is like if you ever listen to the show and you're like, man, I wish Nate would talk about or Nate should talk about, Nate should have blank on, uh, email me please at nerdfarmpod at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear your suggestions for guests or topics. All right. So enough of my yammering, enough of that. Let's get now to our conversation with Jenny May. Hey, Jenny, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Jenny, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, One of my favorite things about this show is talking to people who are more informed about things and learning from them. And so just thanks for coming on and let me pick your brain. Absolutely. Could we start off by talking about what your experiences are or is, experiences is, whatever the order, whatever that should be. What is your experience in the pharmaceutical industry? Um, so when I got out of college in 2009, I started working in pharmaceutical security. And then in 2011, I had switched over to pharmaceutical engineering, which touches pharmaceutical manufacturing. Um, so that'll, that'll touch the process, um, of actually making the vaccine and getting it through the FDA requirements, as well as all the documentation that comes along with that. And then as of 2014, I've really focused that in on my current company, which we work in, uh, pharmaceutical engineering automation. So we really make the equipment of the plant talk to each other and ensure that repeatability and the consistency among batches. Cool. So you've been doing this for about a decade. Uh, I, I think it's useful to put like conflicts of interest out there. So you mentioned like, who, so who are the pharmaceutical companies you're currently working with or for? Um, we have worked with Sanofi Pasteur, which is now just Sanofi, um, which makes our flu vaccine every year. That's a major client of ours. Um, Genentech, uh, Gilead, who rose to some notoriety this year for making uh, Redemzivir, I think it's called. Um, A whole bunch of the big players that you're normally gonna hear, like Merck, you know, some other ones. <laughs> okay, fair there's, enough, fair enough. Yeah, there's a lot. All right. And so 
I feel like vaccines are something that I've taken for granted my entire life because I grew up and lived in the era of American society in which we valued science and knowledge a bit more than we do now. And so like vaccines to me, like I was in the military, so I got plenty of vaccines. Uh, and even like going abroad, I've had, if I was traveling places, I had to get like yellow fever or whatever. But something I really hadn't given a lot of thought to is like, what goes into vaccines? I've kind of just trusted science and trusted whatever. What's in a typical vaccine? Yeah, so I don't think that's actually a bad um, way to think about something like a vaccine or any kind of really um, advanced medicine that you personally can't um, wrap your head around entirely. Um, just knowing that there's people in our community and people in our world that have dedicated their entire lives to doing this and making these things safe and effective for us so that we can avoid problems of our past. Um, so just to touch on that, I think that's a, a totally fine way of thinking about vaccines without, um, you know, you don't need to dig up the articles and try to understand it entirely. But now that it's in at the forefront of everyone's mind and it's truly the only thing we have to think about um it is <laughs> really interesting to learn you know it's interesting to learn about these kind of technologies especially when the mrna had been introduced to us um so in a typical vaccine you're really getting a weakened uh version or a deadened version of the virus um and this will be my interpretation of it because there's an entire department and you know, cohort of people that are actual scientists. Um, and I'm more in the manufacturing side. So it's like science, manufacturing, and then there's the commercial side, which is, you know, more of the political battle on pricing and stuff. But um, so I'm like right in the middle there. So I try to kind of stay in my lane as much as I can. But from my experience uh, and my knowledge, it's that we're typically getting a deadened virus or a weakened form of the virus. Um, and that triggers our antibodies to know how to fight that virus when we do come in contact with it. So kind of just training our body to fight this off without killing us or sending us to the hospital or getting a severe infection or um, disease. Uh, the mRNA is really, really interesting because they're not using any of that virus. They're using either just like a little piece of a protein from it or some sort of, it's really complicated, but it's so interesting because you're not actually requiring the virus to be injected into your body at any time. So it's, it's really like taking your cells to a boot camp and giving them a training without any live ammunition or anything. So there's no chance that you ever would get COVID from an mRNA COVID vaccine. I like that boot camp analogy. That's funny. Um, so I received the Sinovac vaccine here in UAE. And the Sinovac vaccine is one of those first versions you talked about where it was like a weakened strain of, of the virus or a, a, weakens the right word we're going to use right now. And my experience was had the first dose, felt great. Uh, had the second dose, lost about a day. Like I took like four naps that day. But mm -hmm. then like I was fine. And I assume that's my body basically, like my immune system doing its work right there, right? Absolutely. The vaccines that have been approved in the US and come to market so far, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine are both uh, mRNA vaccines, yes? Mm -hmm. Correct. Uh, as we're having this conversation, this week, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was also approved. Uh, Am I making that I up? 
Okay. Okay. Good. 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 You gave me that look. I was like, Oh, am I messing this up? Okay. Good. Uh, <laughs> and it's a single dose vaccine. Do you know? Is it mRNA as well, or is it also the weakened strain? I don't know. That's okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Can you help me get my head around the universe of vaccines that are out there? So, like, I okay. Here's here's what I know, and tell me where I'm wrong. There's the two Chinese vaccines. One called Sinovac and one called, I can't even remember the name of it. Then there's the Russian vaccine Sputnik, and then their second vaccine. And the Sputnik one came out really early, and everybody's like, nah, fam, we're good. And then there's basically like the one, so there's, okay, here's where I need your help. I, I know China and China and, and Russian vaccine. What is available right now uh, from the UK and available in the US? So I'm pretty sure that the Pfizer vaccine is a... I, you might need to fact check me on this and I'd be happy to be fact checked at, at any point during this. But um, I sure. think that the Pfizer vaccine was actually from the UK. Okay. Um, and I'm not positive about what else is going on in the world, but a lot of the biotech companies that we consider American are not. Um, like, for example, Sanofi, who makes our flu shot that we depend on so much every year, is French. Um, we have manufacturing facilities in the U.S. We have manufacturing and all types of research and development all over the world. Lyon, France, um, Toronto, it's Mexico. Um, there's all kinds of. So a lot of these companies are multinational or based out of a different um, country. But as Americans, we read it. Any part of it that says it's from America, we're like American made. <laughs> so it's um, a lot of these companies are not. Um, I think Moderna is a hundred percent U.S. based company. So um, I'm not positive about what's coming out in the entire world. I know in the U.S. pipeline alone, you're looking at over a hundred different iterations of COVID alone. And so that's wild to me. And I actually want to spend some time here. Like when we had our first conversation, kind of like, like prep conversation, you gave me the number 136 and I wrote that number and circled it like several times. I'm a teacher, right? Like I studied economics. I don't understand all of this. Help, help me understand what is the utility of like, why are there 136 vaccines for COVID coming to the market? A lot of that is capitalism. Um, I do think there's a genuine interest from the scientific community to provide a variety of solutions to our current pandemic. And I think a lot of that is probably goodwill um, uh, and in the interest in diversifying science and all kinds of stuff. But I do think about 85% of that probably has to do with capitalism. Do we need 136 iterations of the COVID vaccine? Absolutely not. <laughs> stresses me out. <laughs> so are all 136 likely, because I, I, I know nothing about the approval process. Uh, is it likely that all 136 are going to be approved by the FDA? And if so, like, what does the timeline like that look like for something, for something like that? So... Probably not. Um, that the number has probably changed. Um, some really big players in the vaccine world have come up with and lost their vaccine. Um, they've either abandoned the effort because it, it was the efficacy was bad. Now that you have Moderna and 
Pfizer being able to demonstrate really good efficacy and safety, the bar is actually super high. And with a lot of things like herpes, for example, we do have the technology and all the science to make a herpes vaccine, but the pill Valtrex or whatever the um, generic is called is actually the same efficacy and safety, if not better than a vaccine. So money will not usually be funneled into something like that if a cure or a fix already exists in some way, shape or form. So I think you'll see a lot of people drop out because of how high that bar currently is. That's so interesting. Dang. Every time you say something, I'm like, I have five more questions. Um, <laughs> the two vaccines that came to market in the U.S. first and that are like most popular are the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine. Those are both mRNA vaccines, which differ from the ones we talked about earlier on, the Chinese vaccine, which is like weakened strain. Is there a reason why those companies pursued the mRNA technology instead of going with a weakened strain? Or is that like, what's the significance of, of this mRNA discovery? So mRNA in our world has been super exciting for a, a while. And I think they pursued it for a number of reasons. One being that coronavirus itself is not new to us at all. Um, you know, we had SARS, which you remember, um, we had MERS, which was, I think, the Middle Eastern Respiratory mm -hmm. Syndrome, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, those it. are both really, really similar to what we're currently facing. So once those things were introduced to the scientific community, they've already started working on this, which is one of the reasons that I'm personally not perplexed or worried or concerned about how quickly a COVID vaccine was available because this technology is not new to us. The disease isn't entirely new to us. What we were really waiting for was that COVID-19 strain or um, whatever you would want to call that. But we were waiting for that ingredient basically to know what we were making because it was very important. You couldn't make, you know, a MERS vaccine to fight COVID-19. You would need the COVID-19 um, I think like it, you'll see, you know, different companies go different routes, but the mRNA technology itself is so, so, so exciting for all types of things, cancer, um, things that you wouldn't think would be on the table for a vaccine type of treatment, um, because of the technology and how they, and how they're using it and also just the the ease of making it uh, versus dealing with an actual deadened or weakened virus. So there's just like a ton of possibilities. I'm trying to think of them off the top of my head, but I know that there's, um, you know, cancer is the one that just sticks with me like crazy. And that's actually the first time I was personally introduced to anything mRNA was um, just some different companies trying out some different types of cancer um, treatments that were mRNA related. So um, I, when I saw it being used for COVID, I was very excited because uh, that'll lead into an anti-vaxxer rant. But <laughs> Well, it, it's, it's frustrating to me to see the vaccine misinformation that is circulating in American society where like you made the point earlier on, it's true that with the mRNA vaccine, you're not even getting 
it's not the weakened strain. So like you literally cannot catch COVID from the vaccine. Mm-hmm. But like the disinformation is so thick and so deep in American politics and the social media that like the average person can't get their head around that. Uh, I, I, I'm curious. So I, I'm not an expert on this. Like I'm a generalist as hell. What is your impression of the way that the vaccine manufacturers, pharmaceutical companies, and the media have communicated about like what is available to people? So we actually haven't heard a ton from the manufacturers during this, mm-hmm. um, which I think is okay in this situation because from what I'm experiencing, it is just like head down work right now. And there's no incentive for them to um, really take this stuff to market and push it and make the weird commercials that we all see. There's just no reason to do that. Um, The government really, really, really botched everything and set us up for where we are. And I'm trying not to make this an anti-Trump rant, but leadership absolutely matters. And it absolutely matters in this exact situation. In 2016, when I was deeply upset that Donald Trump won the presidency in the back of my mind, because I've been so scarred by (laughs) what I know and I can't unknow about pandemic, I said, this is fine, I guess, unless there is a pandemic or a war or something where we need an actual leader who understands the government and understands supply chain and understands emergencies. And look what we got, you know, someone who didn't believe in science, who pretended that this would go away on its own, like all of that messaging early on it appealed to people who felt that this was so out of control and terrifying that it was actually easier to kind of swallow that pill that was being, you know, promoted, which was, this is fine. It'll be fine. And it's not fine. And it, and it wasn't fine. We're one year into it now. And it's been super disappointing because this stuff isn't brand new. The idea of a global pandemic that was respiratory is something that has been talked about for a decade at least that I'm aware of. Um, We've had plans in place of who's an essential employee. These are all vocab words that I've known for so long. And to watch people struggle like this was brand new was because we had such poor leadership and such poor guidance and such poor communication around who needs to be doing what and why. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. So let's take a break here. And when we come back in the back half of the conversation, I want to talk about some of the complications with things getting to market. And also I want to talk, uh, I want to hear you talk about how you handle people who are vaccine skeptic. Awesome. All right. We'll be back. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Nerd Farmer. When I'm not listening to podcasts, I'm listening to audiobooks, And I choose Libro FM. Libro has all the books I'm looking for with a low monthly subscription, and I'm not enriching the pockets of a certain billionaire when I use them. Here's some great read slash listens I want you to try out on Libro. If you're an activist, check out Stacey Abrams' book, Our Time Is Now. We owe her so much after November. The least you can do is listen and hear what she has to say. 
For the woke or aspiring woke, check out Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. It's a revelation about our country's social system. And for the nerds among you, my people, if you haven't read The Three-Body Problem, you owe it to yourself to start right now. The entire trilogy will take you places you've never been in science fiction. Libro's over 150,000 books in their catalog, so if those aren't right for you, you'll find something you like. Listeners of Channel 253 can start the service with a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter the code Tacoma. And we are back. I want to thank you for downloading and listening to this conversation with Jenny. This is an important conversation about matters of health that impact our community and our community well-being. If you are enjoying this conversation and are enjoying the series of conversations we've been having here on the show and across the network, we've been talking about uh, city council accountability for law enforcement. We've been talking about the book Cast on my show. Uh, Hope and Megan have been talking about educational matters. If you enjoy these conversations, I'm going to ask you to, to consider joining Channel 253 as a member. Channel 253 memberships support the work of the network and keep the network going. And if you join as a member, you get access to a bunch of member-only benefits, including access to Doug's Off the Record podcast, which is a extended conversation with show hosts and sometimes guests about things that are happening. And also you get access to the Channel 253 member Slack. And the member Slack is a fascinating place to be if you care about civic culture. Uh, right now, there's a conversation going on about some of the candidates who have declared for the city council and who are running to challenge some of the incumbents and where they stand on the issues. And people are parsing the uh, press release that came out for the person running from District 5 and looking at some of the coded language inside that. And there's also a very big, frankly, Kiara Daniels uh, fan club brewing in the Slack as well. And so if you are interested in local politics issues, if you are interested in supporting content makers, if you're interested in stories and perspectives and honest conversations, I'm going to ask you to grab your computer, grab your phone, go to channel253.com slash membership. It is $4 a month or it's $40 a year. Thank you. All right, Jenny, let's get back to this. Uh, you were talking about the mismanagement of the pandemic handling by the Trump administration. And I nodded that like I, like this. This show was always open for Trump shade, like full disclosure. Okay, good. At the same time, uh, apologists for the president and people who uh, and, and particularly like political conservatives were praising the president's involvement in getting these vaccines to market so quickly. I believe at the beginning of the pandemic, like we were told that the vaccines would take like 18 months to two years, and they ended up coming to market in like 10 months or it's like under a year. And so I'm curious for your, for your perspective, what was the role of the federal government in getting the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine to market? Um, so I'm pretty sure that the federal government did not fund Pfizer's research or manufacturing. Um, I know that they purchased the vaccine, as we have seen people get it in their arms, but Project Warp Speed, um, BARDA, which is an acronym for something that I can't think of off the top of my head, um, Pfizer and Moderna were not included in that. So, um, although this would be open for fact checking as well. I'm pretty sure that Donald Trump did nothing to do like to get us this vaccine made. Um, he was, 
I know focused on a couple companies when um, I was working with, and we have not seen that vaccine yet. Interesting, interesting. By the way, Project Warp, Warp Speed is the stupidest effing name ever. Like it's this is worse. from this, it's from the same man that brought you Space Force. Like Jesus. I, I, anyway, anyway. Um, You've been very outspoken about issues with cold storage, and there's been some good news and developments about cold storage. Um, for my benefit, because I'm old and forget things, can you talk me through what were the original problems with cold storage? And then like what has happened now to make to alleviate some of those problems? Yeah, so for full disclosure, a lot of this is probably bordering between fact and opinion. Um, but I'll take it. Yeah. Um, my initial disappointment with the Pfizer vaccine was the cold storage um, requirement. So once they had certified that vaccine with the FDA and everyone had proved everything as they were as it was, so I understand it was rushed. So they didn't have as much time as they normally would to play with making it the most convenient. So I don't think it is really truly a Pfizer problem. And we've now seen since the last week or so they're working on remediating remediating it. Um, so this isn't like a anti-Pfizer rant. This is just a overall cold storage rant is when you have a product that needs a very specific freezer, a very specific freezer temp um, that isn't your typical pharmaceutical freezer grade, which the Moderna one is, which is why I, if you asked me which one I liked better, I would say Moderna because it's the typical pharmaceutical freezer, um, which is what Pfizer now can do as of last week. Um, however, so vaccines or even any drug that requires that type of storage and shipping is almost inaccessible to certain communities. And what I personally think will be that miracle cure for this pandemic issue is making sure that this vaccine is accessible by all kinds of communities, global communities, poor communities, mm -hmm. communities that lack infrastructure, lack, um, you know, people like the United States that might have lacked leadership. <laughs> um, like that, it takes a lot of moving parts functioning at their best to make sure that this product is um, getting to people in a way that is safe. It doesn't go out of regulation at any time. And one of the issues that we all kind of laugh at in my industry is how unreliable freezers can be. They burn out, they have hot spots. When we qualify a refrigerator or freezer, we set it up so that we are checking the back um, where your applesauce might freeze, you know? Like there's hot and cold spots in your own fridge at home, in your own freezer at home. So unfortunately, that's just the case with all of these pieces of equipment. So I want to tug on one thing you said there. You said that the cold storage makes the vaccine not be like usable or scalable everywhere. Can you can you explain why in particular that's the case? So, I mean, even fly. So say we start at the manufacturing facility or the distribution center, all controlled FDA has approved probably almost everything in there. Then it leaves. 
So you're sending it on a plane or a truck. Where's the truck going? You know, what kind of roads are the truck going on? How long is it going to take? Are the freezers going to be in range the entire time? Who's going to check that? Um, what kind of personnel do you have that's qualified to check that? What uh, kind of personnel do you have that's going to be able to remediate a problem as soon as it happens so that they don't go out of range for whatever the specified time is? Um, what kind of personnel do you have that are going to be administrating the shots? Um, do they understand the freeze requirement and the expiration requirement and when it might you might have to throw away a product because it was out of range, even though that might be a really hard thing to do when you're staring at a community that absolutely needs this product. But the guidelines say it's been out of range for 25 minutes. You have to check it or something. I made 25 minutes up for clarity. <laughs> but yeah, so it's there's so many places in cold chain storage and just the distribution that something could go wrong. And you really truly need people who have strong ethics, strong, but also like when I see stories about doctors who knew shots were expiring and just said, come get them. Mm -hmm. I I'm fine with that. <laughs> well, and, and what is the ridiculous like sci-fi number that cold chain storage required? Like it had to be negative. How many degrees? It I think it was ridiculous. 45. Yeah. Negative 45. But I'm not sure if that's Celsius or Fahrenheit. I'm just curious. And so it was funny because like you earlier on were like, I'm not sure if this is like fact or opinion. Like, give me the opinion here. Okay. Um, I, I can't help but notice the way the rollout of the vaccine is happening in the United States. And it's one of those things where like it's actually the U.S. is actually, I think, like number four or five in the world as far as percentage of the population. But that's where we are now. And the beginning was like a hot doo-doo mess. So like here in UAE, uh, we basically are at or around 50% of the population. Uh, the UK is about a quarter of the population. The US is a tad behind the UK, but not by much. In your opinion, where does blame fall for the issues with, for the initial issues with rolling out the vaccine to people? Like, is that, is that the federal government? Is that states? Like, like where do you put the blame? Uh, definitely back on the federal government. Um, Without a strong plan, there you can't really blame everyone else under you. And you know what? At that point and that level of leadership, that the expectation is so high for you that even if it was the states, you need as a leader to understand that it is your failing if everyone under you is failing. Yeah, makes sense. All right. So in this polarized moment that we live in and in this moment of like, pandemic conspiracy theories and online nonsense. Uh, there's a lot of people with like vaccine skepticism and then like anti-vax views. I, I'm really curious for somebody who like lives and breathes this, how do you interact, deal with, like what do you say to somebody who was vaccine skeptic? You know, this has been a really interesting journey for me uh, personally, just because when I live and breathe this, as you said, like this is my life. I care so deeply about the work we do. I care so deeply about the ethics that we're trying to bring to science and already exists in science, to be honest. Um, it, it's been, 
it depends what day it is sometimes, but overall during the pandemic, I'd say my attitude on dealing with skeptics has changed a lot where at first it was just so overwhelmingly offensive to me because it was like I invited my friends over for dinner and they were like, you've made me poison and now I'm going to be infertile and die, you know, because I'm like, I'm making this. Do you think that I would care so deeply about my job if I knew we were making microchips to put in you, you know, like it just kind of like I, it, it, I took it really, really personally at first. And then I have a very calm and uh, normal husband. And he was able to talk me down off of that a little bit and just say, like, people aren't coming for you. They're just overall nervous. And then the more I thought about it, the more I really understood that this vaccine felt like it appeared overnight. And that is okay to be unsure about because we've never really had a time in our lives where we've seen something like that. But we've also never lived through a pandemic before. And I think that people don't understand how much money affects our care and our access to care and the quickness of these things happening. Um, A typical vaccine or injectable project that I work on we have phases, we wait for funding, we mess around all the time because of funding. You know, it's just drags and drags on because there's not this like endless money coming to make sure that this product gets to market as quickly as possible. Even the the couple um, products that I worked on that have been classified by the government as essential or epidemic or like flu every year, I think is classified as epidemic. Um, and you're going to see a lot of government funding backing that, but you're also not going to see the delays on a project that you would see because there's this urgency, there's this emergency declaration or whatever that gets everything working because we know we need that flu vaccine. So I think people, like I said, people were surprised at how quickly and that made them naturally distrust it, but we didn't do anything different. It was truly like a giant influx of money, interest, volunteers, all kinds of stuff went right for a vaccine to appear overnight. The microchip thing to me is so frustrating because people will sit down and put from their cell phones, which actually are tracking them, right? Like you literally carry a cell phone around that has a GPS and like you get these warnings for cookies because you're literally being tracked online and they will type in their phones, like on Facebook, which is also tracking them, that they don't want a vaccine to be tracked. And it's like, how effing stupid can you be? But like, uh, just don't get me started. Okay. So how about just like the hardcore anti-vaxxers? How do you engage with them? How do you approach them? How do you view them? Well, that one is also a really slippery slope for me in my life. Um, There is a very, very strong part of me that cannot help but link anti-vax thought to eugenics and Nazis and purity culture and you think your body and your DNA and whatever is so important that you give up nothing for our society and to live in our society safely. 
and to care about your neighbor. I'm aware that not all anti-vaxxers are Nazis. No, uh, no, no. That's the, no, that's, that's, that is the, that is the, that is the episode title. Anti-vaxxers are Nazis. Yes. Yes. I'm not saying they're not Nazis. No, Jenny said that anti-vaxxers are Nazis. Doug, you're my witness. Sorry. Keep going. However, I, it's kind of mind boggling to me that this, like, I understand not wanting to put things in your body, but the amount of conversations that I alone have had with people that I love, people that I, I love and I respect, where they will finish up telling me about the filler and the Botox that they love and how much they, uh, you know, spent on it and the girl that does it is great. And then the next sentence is, I don't want this vaccine because I want to know what's going in my body. And I was like, I just don't know what to say, which at this point in the pandemic, one year in, I don't think I can have close friends that are anti-vax. I, it is really hard for me because the selfishness, we all do things we don't want to do because we want to live in a society. And I want to be in a community. I want my neighbors. I, I care about, and I don't know how to explain to other people that they should care about someone at this point in the pandemic. And not everything is about you and your precious, precious body. And that's where I get back to the eugenics thing where I'm just like, where is this coming from? You know, what is this about? So. Anti-vaxxers or Nazis. No, that's, that's, that's the episode title. All right. Um, <laughs> we normally do a thing called here, hold this L, hold this L. But like, I think we both agree that anti-vaxxers should hold the L. So we're going to skip that. Um, Jenny, instead, I'm just going to ask, you are like sneaky on social media and don't say a lot, but like if people want to follow you on the socials and see like your monthly tweet, where should they look? Um, I've had the same Twitter account since college, so I like to think I'm not um, too problematic on there. My boss follows me and I've never been fired, but you're <laughs> welcome to follow me at, uh, I think it's Jenny Maymay. Um, M-A-E, M-A-E on Twitter. And then, um, yeah, the only social media I really have is LinkedIn, um, which is under my maiden name, Jennifer Jones. All right. Uh, Jenny, I want to thank you for coming on the show today, making your podcast debut. I want to thank you for being my expert and making me smarter. And audience, Wakanda forever, y'all, wash your damn hands, wear a mask, get a vaccine, and prosecute the police that killed Manuel Ellis. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. I hope I don't get canceled for saying the anti-vaxxers are Nazis, but if I do get canceled for that, I'm ready to go down with that shit because I believe it. <laughs> Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.